direct from Cape Gun Works in Hyannis. You're listening to Rapid Fire Radio with your host, Toby Leary. I'm Toby Leary from Cape Gunworks. I'm passionate about all things Second Amendment. While I love to shoot... Going hot. There is so much more to guns than just pulling the trigger. A free and armed society is a responsible and self-reliant one. Join us to talk all things guns, freedom, and self-defense. It isn't just about being armed... It's about being responsibly armed. So load and make ready. This is Rapid Fire. Welcome, everybody, to Rapid Fire, your weekly show, all things guns, freedom, Second Amendment, and self-defense. I'm your host, Toby Leary. Please don't forget to like and subscribe on social media. We are at Cape Gunworks and at Rapid Fire Radio, all one word. This show is sponsored by Vortex Optics and the USCCA. I recommend you go to Vortex Optics and check out their website. We sell plenty of their product here at Cape Gunworks. And if you're interested in becoming a member of the USCCA, you can go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire. That's uscca.co forward slash rapid fire. And you'll get a very special deal and discount uh, on your membership. And I highly recommend everybody become a member. Uh, It is worthwhile endeavor. You never know when you're going to need that financial protection and legal protection should you ever uh, need it and you carry a gun in the public space. You're going to want to make sure uh, you are protected. They also protect you against um, any type of self-defense use, whether it involves a firearm or not. So you don't necessarily have to have used your gun to defend yourself in order to get that legal and financial protection from the USCCA. You can also, if if you use any weapon of expediency, they will defend you in a court of law and send you a competent lawyer well-versed in self-defense. So there you have that. It's really important to be protected in this day and age. So, Uh, But I appreciate you guys joining us. Uh, for rapid fire each and every week. As you know, uh, there's always something to talk about in gun world. And, uh, you know, as far as what we got going on in the world today, um, there's all kinds of stuff uh, (laughs) going on. Um, I saw a very favorable outcome to a case in uh, California. Uh, The the, um, federal district judge has ruled that uh, the ammo requirement or background check is unconstitutional. Aha! 
So that's awesome. Uh, so you guys want to uh, make sure you check that out. I know uh, Four Boxes Diner released a video on that, and some other people have uh, put out some information on that as well. So um, that's really, really, really good news. Uh, the the tide is turning in um, the district court and federal courts in areas like uh, California, even Massachusetts, where we saw a couple of favorable outcomes on um, unlawful possession of a firearm, which happened uh, in the Lowell District Court um, and also with that Patriots player um, who came into the state carrying a gun or had a gun at the airport and was uh, found to be in illegal possession. And both those cases were dismissed. So, you know, there's some big, big movement on that. Um, and we're going to continue to monitor that uh, as well as some of the other things uh, going on. So hold on one second. Sorry about that. Needed to uh, readjust the lighting in here. Uh, not for the people in radio land sake, but the people in uh, on video land sake. So if you're not following us at rapidfireradio.us and being alerted every time we go live, then I recommend you do so. Also, if you want to be a part of the show, it's 508-444-2120. That's 508-444-2120. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about today. Here we are. We're on the eve of a floor vote in the Senate, which is set to take place tomorrow. And when I say the Senate, I mean the the uh, state Senate, not necessarily the, uh, the, we're not talking federally, but in the state of Massachusetts, they are going to vote on a bill that dropped a week ago today. Yeah, so, uh, the the bottom line is if you think about a process in which your government will drop a catastrophic or a comprehensive depending on which way you look at it they think it's comprehensive we think it's catastrophic uh gun reform bill and then vote on it one week later with no public hearing no public comments and two out of the one two out of the five business days were a weekend you know two out of the well seven days were on a weekend so you know five business days basically to to respond and basically you're supposed to just take it sitting down and i spoke with um my state senators one of his aides uh his name is michael um, I just interviewed him before the show and, uh, you know, he heard me out. And then when it got to the point where I said how this is unconstitutional and there's five Supreme Court rulings that prove it to be true, he said, well, well let me just say that our state Senator Julian Sear would never vote for anything that he thought was unconstitutional. And I said, well, I, I don't know how you get there from here because this is uh, definitely unconstitutional when you look at the five Supreme Court rulings. I, and I went through the fact that the Bruin mandate, which is really the Heller mandate, is 
has referenced the fact that the only way that you can institute gun control or any type of infringement on the Second Amendment is with the text of the Second Amendment, the historical tradition and uh, analog at the time of 1791. And this isn't just, I didn't say this part to him, but this isn't just something that uh, you can point to one or two occurrences. They want overwhelming evidence that there was a historical tradition or a historical analog or a law at the time of the ratification and where this was an accepted, acceptable infringement upon the Second Amendment based upon fill in the blank or whatever the time and the need. And it also has to parallel the law that you're trying to introduce today. So I said, they lack, you lack the constitutional authority to ban guns as, as you're trying to do or regulate firearms in the way that you are. And, you know, frankly, I don't see it any other way. You, you don't have the constitutional authority. There's a separation of powers. Plus, our rights can't be voted away. That's not something you can vote away. And he said, well, I appreciate your passion. I appreciate your um, your knowledge on this. It's very impressive. But we also believe very strongly on our side that we are right. And, uh, you know, he has said that he is going to vote favorably on Senate Bill 2572. That doesn't come as a surprise. But in closing, I urged him to recommend to State Senator Julian Sear, my state senator, to swim upstream, be the voice of reason, uh, stand for the Constitution, stand for the Second Amendment, don't violate the people who aren't responsible's right to keep and bear arms. And be the voice of reason, be the voice of truth, and swim against the tide, swim upstream against his own party, and uh, and do the right thing. At the end of the day, do the right thing. And uh, he said he would pass that sentiment along. Um, I also asked him if he would try to set up a time for Julian Sear to come on the show. And uh, he said he would pass that along to the communications director. Um, I asked him if I could play the conversation that we had on the air. And he said no. Uh, so I'm going to honor that request um, and uh, not play it. But frankly, I think he was just an ear and a sounding board. And I'm finally glad that I was able to reach somebody. I have his own uh, personal number now. So um, I can do that. Uh, going forward. But the bottom line is, uh, you know, and honestly, when I was discussing the nuance of the bill, it was surprising to him. He was asking questions as if there was no knowledge of what was actually in this bill. So that proves to me that, yes, it. I'm sure they were involved in some discussions, but honestly, they don't really know what they're voting on. They don't know the nuance. They don't know the um, constitutionality of it. They don't know the, um, the content of what they're voting on and how unconstitutional it really is. And because of that, that is one major reason that this bill should be delayed is because they don't know what's in it. And they don't really understand the nuance of it. So that is one thing he, he fell back on a position that 
He said, we're really happy to have the support of the Massachusetts Chiefs of Police Association. Um, they did not support the House bill, and they did get involved in a in the process. So if you look at, um, uh, there's a YouTuber uh, called Washington Gun Laws, and uh, they put out a video the other day about how the um, what Massachusetts has done, and frankly, they uh, they <clears throat> they said we're bringing attention to this to make every other state in the union uh, aware of what's what's going on, um, and. Uh, Massachusetts has done something that is unprecedented. And that is the Chiefs of Police Association has conspired together with the Mass Legislature to infringe upon your constitutionally protected rights. He said this is now a state of one where this has happened. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Like, I, I feel like police have come out in support of something but in the past but maybe their support was conditional upon certain language being put in a bill and i'm sure if that happened that's very similar to what happened in this case um but in in the way i see it is the massachusetts chiefs of police association has sold out on principle sold out on their oath of office sold out on their honor honoring their oath of office and conspired together with the legislature. That's two out of three. That's the executive branch and the legislative branch of government. Two out of the three coming together to collude, to conspire against your right to keep and bear arms. If you do that, and I talked about this um, with Ed Lambert this morning on WXDK, uh, if you do that in private business, that's called fraud and in the inducement. There's like chapter 93A protections. When you knowingly and willingly participate to defraud somebody out of something, that is fraud and in the inducement. Or it's uh it's it's worse than you know if you just negligently made a mistake and caused huge harm on people. This is worse than that. This is intentional. This is conspiring together with other elected, with elected officials. You're a bureaucratic agency that is uh, unelected. And uh, you're also a executive agency that is there to enforce the laws that the legislature passes. So you've come together. And what did you get in return? You got the, the police were uh their rights were still retained and they've been read back into the bill so that they were not um exempt uh, and so that they are exempt because originally when hd 4420 dropped the police had to live by the same rules as us which i think is what should happen i don't know why police have greater powers than the people uh when we are the ones with the right to keep and bear arms. So, and that was, uh, if I can go back to Dr. Kang Lu's argument, 
the doctor from New Hampshire, we had him on this show probably last summer about, he was from New Hampshire and he owned some land in Massachusetts and he was there shooting on his own property with his son and he got arrested. He didn't get arrested, but he got charged with unlicensed possession of a firearm in, uh, in Massachusetts. And he uh, made the argument that the license to carry is a professional license. That's what like police officers and security people and whatnot who are in their official capacity as fill in the blank, whatever job they're doing, that is what that license is for and what it was originally intended for. It is not a license for a an enumerated right. Um, we have the Constitution that says bear arms, right? So long story short, the bottom line is uh, the police conspired together or the police chief of police organization conspired together uh, in a way to restrict your right to keep and bear arms. So that's, uh, that's you know, a very big disappointment, if you will. Uh, I wish that they had at least stayed apolitical and not got involved in the writing of the legislation and then maybe came out afterwards and said, hey, yeah, this is a bill we kind of get behind because we see a proliferation of uh, unregistered firearms on the street. However, even if they did that, what benefit does it have to the public, the constituents of Massachusetts, to bar the people you don't need to worry about from being able to partake in a freedom hobby, such as home-built firearms. They're not people you need to worry about. They've already jumped through all your arbitrary and capricious hoops in order to obey these laws that are unconstitutional to try to be a good citizen because they believe their right to keep and bear, arm, bar, bear arms is more important uh, than just being right. And so they've played the game. They've jumped through the hoops. They've they've agreed to your uh, arbitrary and capricious um, games that the legislature comes up with. And now there's a whole new round of that where they're saying, oh, you're not going to be able to build a gun on your in the privacy of your own home anymore because it doesn't have a serial number and we don't know about it. Well, frankly, you shouldn't know about it in why should it have a serial number if I'm building it for my own personal pleasure and my own personal use? I understand there's an issue where felons uh, end up with guns that maybe they made from parts they acquired on the internet. That's a separate subject. You can't punish the masses for the criminal acts of a few. That's just not the way it works. So unfortunately... That is exactly how the legislature has been treating guns and gun control and firearm ownership as if they granted the right in the first place, even though they did not. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but don't go away. We'll be right back. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary, and we'll be right back. Carrying a firearm for personal protection has never been more popular than it is today. 
The USCCA can help fortify your home, sharpen your awareness, and develop your defensive plan. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up. Your family's safety and security is your responsibility. Go to uscca.co forward slash rapid fire to sign up for a USCCA membership and get special training, legal advice, and legal protection you and your family need. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And we're going to be rolling today. Sparks are going to be flying. Uh, but I just want to point out uh, uscca.co forward slash rapid fire. And if you don't have a member, excuse me, a membership in the USCCA yet, I'll, I'll pull out my... Uh, John Wayne accent here and say, well, what took you so long? Uh, you got to do it. <laughs> There's no ifs, ands, or buts around uh, about it. Aside from the legal protection that they offer, it's huge on the training side and the and the amount of training materials that they have to offer is huge. The whole DSF 1 and 2, the defensive shooting fundamentals 1 and 2, the uh, concealed carry and home defense, the countering the mass shooter threat, the medical class, the women's uh, pistol classes that they have. For all that reason, it's worth it. Not to mention the interactive travel map that they have. If you're going to be plotting a course across the country, you can go on their website, check all that out. So, all right. Uh, all that being said, um, I want to get into a little bit. I know you guys have already heard it from me in the past couple of days, a couple of the things that this bill um, will do. Uh, one of the things that a friend of mine pointed out yesterday, who's a uh, black firearms instructor in Boston, and he said, uh, he said that Section 36 is extremely offensive to the black and brown communities. And let me just read this to you. Uh, this, I think, is it's gross. It really is. But here, here, here goes. Requires the Department of Public Health and the Executive Office of Public Safety and Security to develop a pilot program to promote equity in access to gun safety awareness and firearm licensing education through community-based outreach. The pilot program shall prioritize communities that experience barriers to accessing culturally competent and geographically accessible gun safety. So right now there's communities in our state that apparently have barriers to accessing culturally competent and geographically accessible gun safety and firearms licensing educational resources. I don't even understand what that all means. I guess they're saying because they live in a certain area, there's not uh, maybe a gun club or a range or firearms instructors near them. And therefore they need the government help in order to get them competent and culturally competent uh, curriculum and maybe uh, come to them geographically. I don't know. But all I know is 617 Defense uh, is doing a great job of training people in the urban areas, maybe where they don't have... Uh, 
transportation or whatever. And they're, they've pivoted on a way to do it in a way that they don't, if they don't have access to a live fire range, they can set up with cert pistols, they can set up with cert guns, and they do a phenomenal job. Uh, and also, you know, there's way more resources than just them. Uh, and so they find it to be extremely offensive uh, and has very racist tones to it, basically saying, we know you can't do this on your own, so we're here to help. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. And uh, yeah, those those uh, scariest words you could ever hear. Um, all right, let's look at uh, trigger activators. This appears to ban the possession of bump stocks, trigger cranks, and any other rapid-fire trigger activators for those that hold a machine gun license. So if you hold a machine gun license, um, you still won't be able to get a bump stock or a trigger crank or a trigger activator. I don't know what the heck a trigger activator is. Um, it's it's just maddening. So uh, if I go to section 18, I'll, we'll, we'll read right from the, the actual text of this bill. So this is a 35-page bill. They've pared it way down from the 122-page H4139 that the the house passed um so here you go section 18 uh the licensing authority shall make inquiries concerning the applicant to the commissioner of the department of criminal justice information service and i've always said isn't it interesting that the department of criminal justice information service is the same one that administers your licenses and blah 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 and all that but i digress um relative to any disqualifying condition, any record of restraint and application for hospitalization pursuant to chapter uh, 123 of section 12 and records of purchases, sales, rentals, leases, firearms, and weapons or ammunition concerning the applicant. So now if you've ever sought hospitalization or if there's ever been a restraining order or any disqualifying condition, that's very broad and uh, vague, uh, th then they're going to be able to commiserate on, sounds like your health records, your, uh, your purchasing in the past. Um, I don't know how they're going to get records of whatever ammunition you bought. Um, that's going to be interesting. Um, but now they're going to put it all in one place, I guess. The commissioner of probation relative to any record contained within the department of probation or the statewide domestic violence record keeping system uh, concerning the applicant. A lot of this, I think, is already in place, too. I don't know why it's all being newly codified in a, in a new way. But the commissioner of mental health will, relative to whether the applicant is a suitable person to possess firearms. So the suitability part used to be solely resting upon the shoulders of the chief licensing officer. So the CLIO or the chief licensing enforcement officer is the one that used to determine whether you were suitable or not to possess a gun. Now they want to expand that into health professional. And uh, so we're going to see uh, how that all plays out in the suitability argument is still being talked about and pushed around like it didn't happen in the Bruin decision when it did. Uh, basically, the Bruin decision came down and said, any uh, anyone who's not a federally prohibited person must be given 
the right to keep and bear arms. That's They have that right. And that's how due process works. You can't just have somebody say, thus saith the health department, you are no longer a suitable person based on what I deem from what I see. Because that could stem from anything. It could It could happen from... You know, if they ask you, do you have any guns at home? Heck yeah, I got guns at home. I got a whole collection. I got 38 of them. And then they write in their little notebook, oh, a uh, patient has 38 guns, knew the exact number, uh, was proud of it, Was and I see that he is a very patriotic and uh, fundamentally uh, right-wing person. He talks about going to church on Saturdays and Sunday or Sundays and, and uh, you know, I worry that he might be militarized. Now, all of a sudden, that person could be deemed unsuitable when they're just a freedom-loving patriot. It's unbelievable. Let's read on. It says, um, it talks about domestic violence uh, and mental health. Uh, it goes further on uh, talking about it. The Section 12, if you've ever been hospitalized, uh, by Section 12, then the licensing authority will be able to make inquiries to the law enforcement agency that submitted the record, um, and they can commiserate and determine whether you're uh, suitable for firearms ID. Uh, the applicant may submit to the licensing authority's consideration an affidavit of a licensed physician or clinical psychologist attesting that such physician or psychologist is familiar with the applicant's mental health and that the physician or psychologist's opinion the applicant is not impacted by mental illness in a manner that would prevent the applicant from possessing a firearm, rifle, or shotgun. This is a whole new level of um, criteria because it used to be if you were adjudicated as mentally defective, in which case you are a threat to yourself or others. They've just lowered the bar to the point where it almost doesn't exist. Now they're asking you to prove your innocence or prove your uh, your healthy in order to exercise your right to keep and bear arms if it's ever called into question. And now you got to get a licensed health professional to sign off on it. Like I know how many people have tried to get a crossbow permit to hunt in this state and there's been people with torn rotator cuff surgery that haven't been able to get a licensed health professional to sign off on their crossbow permit because they say it's temporary. In a couple of years, you'll be able to pull a bow back. And uh, so I won't sign off on it. So if we have, if we have uh, health professionals that won't sign off on a crossbow permit, imagine the now barrier to entry in order to uh, get one of them to say, yep, this person is known to me and I say he's not a threat to himself or others and or that isn't even the threshold anymore, but uh, I deem him suitable to own a gun. It's unbelievable. So it talks a lot about psychologist's opinion in this section. Uh, the applicant is not impacted by mental illness, blah, blah, blah. And it goes on and on. Any information that the individual has a record or restraint of an application for hospitalization pursuant to said section 12, said chapter 123 shall be used solely to provide licensing authorities as defined under section 121 with information required. Uh, so in other words, you're going to have to prove that you are a 
of sound mind, let's put it that way, and not someone who is uh, uh, unsuitable. And good luck trying to prove that as you go through life. And, uh, you know, now this brings a whole new level of doctor shopping to the mix, right? Are you going to have to shop around for doctors who are pro 2A that will give you an honest pass? Because some of them might say, oh, you've you've uh, had some baby aspirin and some Flintstone vitamins. So therefore, you got a proclivity to addiction. And uh, I won't sign off on that because of your, you know, medical history. So good luck with that. Oh, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we practice to deceive. The immortal words of Elmer Fudd, the gun Fudd himself. But all right, we will be right back after this. You're listening to Rapid Fire. I'm Toby Leary. Don't go away. Federal delivers a knockout punch with the leading defensive ammo on the market. Federal punch hollow points are accurate and reliable in all defensive situations. When you need reliability designed to provide a balanced mix of effective penetration and expansion, you need punch defensive ammunition from Federal, the leader in nickel-plated brass ammo with a sealed primer to deliver reliable feeding and ignition. Get Federal Punch defensive hollow point ammunition here at Cape Gunworks. Welcome back to Rapid Fire. I'm your host, Toby Leary. And uh, I want to make sure I save time for the comments section um, because, frankly, uh, I have something planned for you in the second hour. I'm going to play that uh, interview with Stephen Williford from uh, Sunderland Springs, uh, Texas. I know some of you probably heard it, but uh, this was the show I did from shot show and uh it it is worth replaying i've already had some requests via email for me to play it in the second hour and so um we're gonna do that uh, yes that's true uh it is worth doing uh and i hate to disappoint you if you're gonna listen sunday but that's gonna be the sunday local hour on the show rapid fire on wxdk because i will be in fort worth texas so I have to send that over today to WXTK and bundle that up for them. So that's going to be the show, the interview with Stephen uh, Williford. And it really needs to be broadcast multiple times because the story is so powerful. I wish he could testify before the Senate here in Massachusetts. It really needs to happen. Um, so... Uh, I can go either way right now. We can take your questions. You can call the show 508-444-2120. And I can also uh, continue on in my assessment of Senate Bill 2572, which we could all just butt our heads against the walls and uh, or we can just talk about it. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah. Billy's saying hello from the People's Republic of Communist Massachusetts. And uh, hello, hello. Um, It is truly the People's Republic. And um, let's see. uh, Yeah, Billy's also saying, hey, you should really tell everyone by mouth or social media about Toby Leary and his podcast. I thank you uh, for that. That's very kind of you. Um, I... If, you know, it's it's not as noble as you might seem. I'm self-preservation mode, man. I got to... No, I'm just kidding. 
uh, I was a Second Amendment advocate long before I was a gun dealer. And uh, this is what I've been doing for 30 years. Ups and downs, peaks and valleys, frustrations. And uh, the good news is we have some serious, serious fodder in our cannon uh, because the winds just keep stacking up. Now, there's been losses too, but uh, we had St. Benitez strike down the California ammunition background check law, which, um, guys, if there's one man who's doing more for the Second Amendment uh, in the judicial court system, I don't know who it is. But U.S. District Judge Roger T. Benitez has delivered another blow to California's gun control regime. This is an article on by Cam Edwards on bearing arms and uh, striking down the state statute that imposes background checks on every ammunition sale in the state while pro prohibiting California residents from bringing ammunition purchased elsewhere back home. Imagine that. Like you buy, there's a lot of people, someone just told me, all right, let's go to the phones. Hold on one sec. All right, you're on rapid fire. This is Toby. How are you? Hey, Toby. I'm good. How are you doing today? It's Calvin calling you. Hey, Calvin. Thanks for calling. How's it going? It's going good. I got two things for you. Um, the first one, I want to do a shout out uh, just to your range um, in your building in general. Just the staff there have been really nice. For those of you who actually uh, might not have been to Toby's store before, you if you go there, you, there's like a good chance you will see Toby out in like the floor, you know, ringing customers up and stuff, which I got to say, it's a very humbling thing to see like the owner be out there with the regular employees doing the stuff. So I'll be, I'll be honest, if that was me, I'd be like, eh, I ain't bringing people out. I'm staying in my office. This is why I pay the employees to do. And but it, it's a nice humbling thing to see. And I got to shout out to Bo, the gunsmith. He does a really good job. I got to shout out to the range people like Jimmy and Alex and Rashid. They, they all do good stuff. So that was the first thing I wanted to say. Well, thank you, Calvin, for that. I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and the other thing, um, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I'm a relatively new uh, gun owner, and just like your store and the people there have really just made being like a new gun owner, finding my way, navigating through all the complexities of gun ownership laws, especially Massachusetts laws. Um, guys have really helped me a lot, and it's been a wonderful experience, and a lot of it to your store and like the people that are there great glad to help we're happy to be here but yeah yeah no definitely but the other thing i want to ask um and i might raise a couple of people's blood pressures up doing this but you know hey for spice why not um let's talk about anti-gun gunners for a sec so in my kind of from what i can see most of the people that are anti-gun that i have met the reason why they're anti-gun is because they are literally afraid of guns because they don't really understand how they operate. Like if you ask one of these people, how does it go bang? You know, they, they, they kind of treat guns like if you just touch it with a little finger, it'll go bang. And that, that's like the one fear I've come across kind of a lot. Like, and me, when I, before I became a gun owner, I was definitely terrified of the guns, but one, you know, I understood how they work. I took the gun safety course. I said, oh, 
these aren't as scary because I know in order for it to go bang, I got to do this, this and that, you know what I'm saying? But I, I'm wondering on your end, have you come across like any like legitimate anti-gun like opinion or idea or like just a good point like that the anti-gunners say? So have you come across that at all? Yeah, that, you know, you bring up an excellent point. And uh, this I do, I do know, or I've seen many times in my advocacy of uh, being a gun owner for the past 30 years and a gun enthusiast for the past 38 years. So uh, the the point I'm trying to make is there are people that are just like, oh, guns, ah, uh, they all their, their only knowledge yeah. of guns is what they've seen in the movies and what they hear on the media and so once they understand that you're a gun owner now all of a sudden that changes things they go whoa wait a minute you're normal like you're not some whack job you know making uh pipe bombs in your basement you're just like an everyday guy you got you have a wife and kids or whatever you have a family you do you go to work every day like you don't uh call in bomb threats and stuff so that's number one a huge thing is I I say, and I stole this from uh, Ignatius Piazza. If you know who he is, then you were on a email list for a long time. But he he used to say, "Put on the face of responsible gun ownership in your community," and that's what I do. I don't hide the fact that I'm a gun owner. I wear my Cape Gunworks T-shirts and shirts everywhere, and my Pro Two A message shirts. I end up at my kids' school. I end up at uh, the soccer games, the hockey games, the basketball games, whatever games uh, I'm going to, I go to other kids' birthday parties, and naturally the conversation will someday turn towards guns. You know, with something that happened, a terrible tragedy, a a, a horrible, uh, you know, negative outcome with a firearm, and that's the opportunity right then and there to win the hearts and minds and say, you know, I've been a gun owner for 30 years. And uh, I, I lock my guns up from so people who aren't legally able to own them can't access them. I educated my kids. I educated my kids' friends. I've taken tons of people who were petrified of guns to the range and let them shoot. And guess what? They all left with a smile on their face saying, wow, this was amazing. I never thought shooting a gun could be so much fun. Like I was afraid of this. I was petrified. I thought it was this evil, yep. this evil, you know, uh, special weapon that was going to blow up and vaporize everyone in the room. And when they, you know, <laughs> so that's what I would recommend, uh, Calvin, is just start by initiating the conversation. Well, have you ever shot? Oh, how about you come with me sometime? I, I got some 22s. They're really easy to shoot. And I would love to just show you what we do. And you'll see how fun it is. It's not. There's nothing nefarious going on. It is a, uh, it is a recreational sport. And you know what the best part of it is? Um, I'm using an, a discipline that could ultimately save my life someday. And that's why I go to the range and practice and train and take a class here and there. And you know what? That's how we win. And that's how we expand the Second Amendment through that level of ad advocacy and that for every person we convert, there's going to be, you know, 10 more down the line that will, will convert it. Think of it as a multi-level marketing business 
proposition, and that is to just go out and make Second Amendment believers. Really, that's what it comes down to. Which is funny because I definitely have experience. Like I've told a few people, like I have my license and that's been their reaction. Like, why do you need that? And well, like my big reason was was like, cause criminals have them and I need, you know, equal footing. If someone tries to mess with me, like, like, like that's the one thing, but I also have like, actually at your range, I had a friend of mine who was a little afraid of guns, but you know, I eased them into it. I brought him to the chief. I tortured him with my nine mil um, because I don't have a 22 pistol. Um, so I tortured him with the nine mil a little bit. Um, but, you know, he, he once I, you know, caught him there, this is how you do it and whatnot. He, his fear definitely went down. And, um, you know, he does have a, he, I kind of converted him a little bit. Um, so I definitely hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, keep up the good work, Calvin. We need uh, more people like you that are willing to take new people to the range. That is the best way to win the hearts and minds. It's not sitting there lobbing. And, and that's like, go ahead. Uh, so, and like I was gonna say, and that's like another reason. Like that's another thing. Like I wouldn't have been able to bring someone to the range had you guys like not allowed that. So like that's another like good thing that you guys at the range is that like you know i have my license i can bring some new people in and they don't necessarily need their license so that's that's another thing yeah yeah well man you're doing a great job i appreciate you and uh thanks for shopping at cape gunworks (laughs) but uh we look forward to seeing you here and uh we'll we'll definitely uh keep kicking the ball up the hill together and the more the merrier so keep keep on bringing some people down and introducing him to the shooting sports. I appreciate you. Yeah, definitely. I appreciate you too, Toby, you and everybody. And uh, thanks for taking my call. Uh, Absolutely. Take care, Calvin. 508-444-2120 is the number if you want to be on the show. Uh, You can also follow up with what Calvin had to say. Uh, I'll get back to um, your questions in one sec. I just want to finish this out real quick Um, in the 32-page decision. Excuse me. In the 32-page decision, Judge, affectionately known as Saint Benitez, uh, by California gun owners for miraculously adhering to the text and tradition of the Second Amendment and striking down multiple gun control laws in the state, hinted that a voter-approved initiative requiring ammo purchasers to obtain ammunition purchase might have survived constitutional scrutiny, but the law approved by California lawmakers that preempted that requirement cannot. So uh, that that sounds scary to me. If they can get enough people to put it on the ballot and vote it, it would stay. But I don't I don't see how that's true. But anyway, um, check that article out on bearing arms. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, a uh, I know he also declared that the assault weapons ban was unconstitutional. He also declared the magazine capacity ban was unconstitutional. So he's doing. A great job, but I thought there was also a federal judge in New York that ruled their background check scheme for ammunition was unconstitutional. I may have misread that, but um, if someone know you know saw that, they can either corroborate or correct me on that. So if that's the case, that'd be good. Um, but we don't have that in Massachusetts. Don't give them any ideas. Um, but we have our, our own hornet's nest to deal with. So 
All right, let's see. Uh, uh, NewTube says, I see non mass, com mass non compliance coming, um, which I, I think is probably accurate. Um, we saw Illinois had about 2% compliance for the registration of their uh, assault weapons after their assault weapons ban that is has been stalled from the uh, from the what do you call it the uh, the court uh, they they have basically not been willing to grant it uh, the emergency status that was justice amy coney barrett at the supreme court there was some talk about making it uh, emergency appeal to the supreme court and you know that would have been nice but they they didn't take it on uh but they so they have this registration in illinois and they've only seen two percent of the people comply so mass non-compliance is a thing and should be wielded as a tool when necessary. Uh, they don't care. Import mass amounts of illegal, dangerous goods. Disarm the people and bankrupt the system. Do the math here. Yeah, you know, I, I, so much is wrong with our country right now. Don't get me going down that rabbit hole. But um, yeah, and uh, G-Webs, you point out something, a really good point here. They need to understand the consequences of their knee-jerk reactions. I think that the consequences of their knee-jerk reactions, and I'm speaking specifically to the Massachusetts State Police Association, is that the there's a rich history of police losing their qualified immunity when they violate your constitutional rights. Uh, the um, what was that gun? Uh, not gun rights group, but the. Uh, the and not the NAACP. I'm getting my acronyms crossed, uh, but there's a whole civil rights organization uh, that is was dedicated to basically filing lawsuits for civil rights violations. And I would love to see them step up to the plate and represent a gun case, but um, they they never have. And uh, the bottom line is. Uh, they they can lose their civil protection or their their um, qualified immunity if they violate your constitutional rights. This is huge. Uh, this is Title 18, Section uh, 121, where any any officer, official, any it, I I see it even covers the legislature, but for some reason they're untouchable. Um, but they have been held personally, personally, personally liable uh, for violating people's rights and making an unlawful arrest, et cetera, et cetera. And that's what's going to need to happen here. I wonder if there's a way to preemptively uh, do it. Should this law pass, have a class action lawsuit? Most of the time, judges will throw that out if there's not harm. Uh, already happened, but all right, let's go to Don and Stoughton. Don, you're up on rapid fire. How are you? Uh, hold on one sec, Don. I got to get you in. There you go. Now we should be able to hear you. Oh, that's better. Yep. Put the candle back. Hey. 
No, um, I also wanted to jump in on the, the current situation where if in Massachusetts you're denied a gun license, you get a bench trial. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but a bench trial is where both parties have to submit stipulation of the facts, and both parties have to agree to those stipulations as submitted to the judge. Well, answer me this, Toby. If you disagree with the chief and the chief disagrees with you forever, how can you have a bench trial? Uh, I give up. Tell me. You can't. You cannot. <laughs> you cannot. And furthermore, under the Seventh Amendment of the U.S. Constitution Bill of Rights, it states that in any common law action over $20, a jury trial is preserved. Jury trial. So let's see, how much does a gun license cost? A hundred and some odd bucks? Well, that's more than 20. So according to the law of this nation, any person denied a gun license, which are unconstitutional anyways, you're supposed to get a jury trial because mm. that's preserved in common law actions over $20. And furthermore, again, <clears throat> with the bench trial, it has to be agreed to by both parties. If both parties don't agree to it, there is no bench trial. It goes right to a jury trial. But we must understand this is Massachusetts. Mm. And they will do anything they can to, the lie, to lie to us people to deny us our rights. So just wanted to jump in on that, Toby. Yeah, well, thanks for the call, Don. Uh, it's, it's extremely uh, unfortunate that the, you know, judiciary... Uh, doesn't like our rights as much as the legislature. So we got all three branches of government working against us in the state of Massachusetts. So our hope is solely in the hands of the Supreme Court. Uh, but I do see some uh, progress being made in the lower courts, the inferior courts, as the two cases I just mentioned earlier in the show, the that unlicensed uh, people in possession of a gun in the state. So hopefully we'll see a trend you know, in that regard. The the only point I'm trying to make here is that you have to attack them at the root of the problem. If you don't cut them off at the, the ankle, they're going to try anything. If you were concerned about anything beyond that, again, with constitutional limitations, as, as noted by James Madison, if the government is not accorded a privilege to act upon a certain topic or subject, they cannot do that. Mm. And again, I read the U.S. and the Massachusetts Constitution to absolutely deny the government any actions upon the possession of firearms by lawful citizens. Yeah, I I agree with you 100%. Uh, I actually spoke to uh, Senator Sears' aide, Michael, um, before the show and talked to him about it. And I said, look, what you're doing is unconstitutional. And they go, well, if we saw it that way, we wouldn't do it. You know, so they think that they have the constitutional authority to do it. And, you know, we all know that they lack the power to do it because of their position, but they definitely don't lack the authority. The The right that they're encumbering was not given by man. It was not given by them. So therefore it can't be taken away. It can't be encumbered. It can't be uh, leaned. It can't be have conditions put on it in any way, shape or form. And yet here we are fighting for our rights. No, exactly. But I did send you an email you ask them the question, are we a constitutional republic at the common law that limits what government can do? Yes. Is there any privilege in there 
for you to act upon firearms or the right to keep and bear arms. No. Mm-hmm. So show me where I'm wrong. No, You've got to pin him with two quick, easy points. Go ahead. No, you're right. Show me where I'm wrong and uh, defend your position on how you think you can infringe upon the exactly. right. And, and for, furthermore, and I said this this morning on WXDK, is since we're ignoring Supreme Court uh, rulings and since we're ignoring the Constitution, what's next? Is it our First Amendment? Is it? Are you going to start to license going to church? Are you going to start to require a permit in order to protect ourselves against illegal searches and seizures? Are you going to bring back the poll tax because the Supreme Court ruled that to be unconstitutional? Massachusetts loves taxes, uh, Don. And shoot, since they're just ignoring Supreme Court rulings, they could bring back the poll tax tomorrow, right? And no, you're 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 absolutely correct. But again, bring it back down to the most basic level. Do you have any privilege or power to do what you're doing and acting laws on firearms? No. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Right. End of statement. Yeah. And, you know, up until Heller and uh, Bruin, they could point to a long list of wins in courts that said they did. And uh, unfo- yeah. unfortunately, because... Uh, intuitively i knew something was wrong when i applied for my license to carry at 18 years old i said something's wrong this ain't a right with all the hoops i just had to jump through and all the permission slips i had to ask for and all the fees i had to pay and get fingerprinted photographed take a range uh shooting test everything else that's not a right that's a privilege but Uh, no you're absolutely correct and i was the guy that wrote the code of massachusetts regulations that if you appeared at the police station with your FFL for collecting curios and relics, it was an immediate, immediate release of a Massachusetts machine gun license to that person holding that FFL. I wrote that law. Mm. Well, unfortunately, we yeah. have we have licenses for just about everything in the state. Uh, I was trying to show someone my machine gun license the other day. So I pull out all my licenses and I'm like, no, 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 no. There it is. He goes, how many licenses do you have? I said, I have five state, exactly. five state licenses to do what I do. But anyway, <laughs> thanks for the call, Don. I appreciate it as always. Right, wealth of information. Yep. Take Keep care. Fighting. Yep. Um, yeah. Five different licenses to participate in my right to keep and bear arms and be in business for that. So totally nuts. But anyway, uh, Love Don's input every week. It's great. And uh, let's see. Andrew, if it passes, will Rhode Island see it next? Probably. I mean, Rhode Island, there's tons of states watching us right now. The whole country's watching us to see what they can get away with. And um, yeah, it's anyone's guess. Who knows who will be next? But the bottom line is they don't like the fact that we've had a victory in the Bruin case, and this is their temper tantrum, frankly. Um, even they then they tried to make it hard for citizens to participate. They were inundated by angry Second Amendment supporters, even from other states. Uh, the, that's um, what happened at the last pu- time public comment was allowed. Yeah, you're right, Billy. Um, they're trying to get this done no matter what citizens want. That's exactly what's going to happen. 
uh, when serial numbers on illegal drugs work, then come talk to us about serial numbers on guns. But good point there, uh, there, G-Webs. You get the machine gun. Um, so some people were saying I lost audio. If I did, I apologize. Um, hopefully it's back. Uh, KP says, if Second Amendment Foundation, Goal, Gun Owners of America, or any other major organizations are looking for named plaintiffs, I would be happy to join in the lawsuit. That's great. Um, reach out to FPC. They have a whole page where you can be a plaintiff. You can submit your name and info, contact info. So when they file a lawsuit in that state, you're already in the queue. It helps um, streamline the the thing. So, um, yeah, um, guys, I wish I got through the, uh, all the comments, but you guys were firing away today. It's, it's on, it's on fire. So, um, I'm not going to be able to get to all of them before we get on the, uh, on the next phase of the show. But what I will do is, uh, take a couple more and we'll just go a little long if that's all right with you guys. Um, cause I, I appreciate everybody on this, uh, the chiefs of police association Facebook page said that they fully support the Senate bill. Yeah. They, they, um, they actually had a whole, uh, they had a whole press conference the other day. Um, and I'm reading the comments in reverse now. So I see that you were talking about you were correcting something you misspoke on, but yeah, they had a whole press conference. They actually participated in the process and Julian Sears aide told me that, Oh yeah, they were a part of the whole process. They, you know, basically came together with us and, you know, a lot of work went into this. This is a good bill that we've worked hard on. And we got the mass chiefs of police association to collaborate with us basically collude against and conspire against your right it's called fraud uh you've willingly conspired to violate your oath of office in the due diligence of your official position and you know that's if you did that in the private sector you'd be sued for fraud so uh all right Cool. I'm going to uh, pause the comment section there. I'll type along if you guys want to comment during the uh, during what we have going on with Stephen Williford. So uh, you don't want to miss this presentation with Stephen Williford. It's he is the man. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I highly recommend you hang tight and you watch this show because uh it's a powerful testimony it needs to get shared time and time again and uh it's really important so uh yeah stay tuned with that we're going to go to a quick break and i'll type along in the comments section as well so um thanks for tuning in i'll come back after to wrap it all up so you don't have to worry <laughs> but i am going away for a couple days so sunday's uh, WXDK will be recorded. So, all right, don't go away. We will be right back after this. Vortex offers the very best optics specifically made for shooters with rugged construction designed for extreme environments. Vortex optics build quality ensures accurate, reliable, and repeatable performance 
every time you squeeze the trigger. Add fully multi-coated lenses and nitrogen purging, and you have a quality optic with an extremely reasonable price tag. That is the Vortex difference. Come into Cape Gunworks to see the full line of Vortex optics today. Stand by. I forgot to screen. Uh, I forgot to share my screen. Uh, let's do that right now. And I'm going to go full screen. And I'm going to go full screen. All right. Hey, everyone. Toby from Cape Gunworks here. And it's time for another rapid fire radio gun of the week. This week's gun of the week is none other than this space age polymer looking. Is it a ghost gun if it's from space? No, just kidding. Uh, no, this is not a ghost gun, and it isn't from outer space, but it is a really cool gun. It's the FN PS90, and what kind of made this famous is, besides its ergonomic looks here, the 5.7 cartridge was in the running to replace the 9mm NATO round for a while, but uh, they ended up sticking with 9mm, and the Secret Service uses the P90 version of this which has a very short barrel it comes right out past the end of the uh, stock here and it is a full auto machine gun that the secret service uses and they have them in those shoulder harnesses that hang right here and if it goes down they have a gun at the ready so what's neat and interesting about this gun is it's fully ambi controls you have a, a charging handle on both sides you can access the safety from both sides and also the mag release from both sides on top. And as you can see, the magazine goes in on top, which is kind of interesting. Um, this is the 10 round version for places like Massachusetts. And in a free state, you can get a 50 round mag. So one thing that's really cool about the 5.7 and the PS90 mag is the round stack horizontally. So the first round goes in perpendicular to it. And you can see this follower is at a 45 degree angle there. So it's kind of neat it'll turn the round as you load it. So the first one goes in straight, the next round goes in and it pushes that round below it to the 45. And then the third round turns it again even further to be 90 degrees to that first round that you put in. So that gives it a lot more room. That's why the magazine can hold 50 rounds in a free state version of the gun. Oh, and the takedown of it is amazing. So you just push this button right here slides right out and your bolt carrier group comes right out and then on the back the butt pad comes up and your trigger pack comes right out so that's it it's real easy to clean real easy to uh, take apart real easy gun is a very soft shooting gun it doesn't have much recoil at all and it's a pleasure to shoot so uh, you got to check out the FN57. Uh, the carbine that was originally designed to shoot that. Some other companies have come on board and make a 5.7 uh, carbine as well. But just a neat gun. Uh, it has Picatinny rail on top so you can mount a red dot optic. It also has a little peep sight in the back of the Picatinny rail that you can see through. And there's a front sight post here so you can still use an iron sight. But most people put a red dot on it 
And there you have it. It's this week's Gun of the Week. So check it out. Go to our website, rapidfireradio.us. Scroll down to Gun of the Week. Click on it and use GOW at checkout to get a very special deal off this week's Gun of the Week. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you on Rapid Fire Radio. things guns freedom second amendment and self-defense and this is a special shot show edition which i'm really excited about and uh we have a great setup here in the uh i think it's the true southern living tv broadcast booth at shot show and uh, i'm really happy to have with me uh stephen williford from sunderland springs texas a man who needs no introduction but Sorry, guys. Sounds like we lost the audio there. Let's see what happened. <laughs> All right. Tactically, very good. Um, you know, I think you performed not only heroically, but uh, tactically very well and sound. Uh, so um, without further ado, let's... Let's um, start at the beginning. Before you tell your story, if you could just tell people what it was you did, what 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 you know prompted you to you know arm yourself, and and you know what your way of life was prior to let's call it the incident. <laughs> what the ten minute thumbnail? Yeah. <laughs> that that one's really hard. Uh, so I was a shooting instructor. Mm-hmm. I ran a youth league, and actually one of my students at women's collegiate national record and i used to be a competitive shooter we shot as a shooting you shot against the saints i i well uh so being a church pistol team everybody that's a christian knows we all sin and fall short and what's really cool is the word sin in the bible is actually come from a word, uh, it's an archery term, meaning missing the target. And uh, so we thought that that was a smart choice for a name for our team. And one of our centers was a former Army Ranger Hmm. and a San Antonio police officer at the time. And, uh, you know, the shooting sports is kind of like golfing, but for men. (laughs) Uh, That one stung a little bit, Steve. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Colonel Grossman said a uh, golf course is a perfectly misuse of a uh, willful misuse of a perfectly good golf course or uh, shooting, shooting range. range yeah. 
And, you know, there might be something to that. That would be an excellent development for somebody to do is uh, golf with guns. So you, you go to each hole and you shoot and try to hit the target. And then you go to the next hole and you record your score. Well, I, I, I think you ought to shoot the golf balls or the yeah. shoot the golf balls with your rifle at 400 yards. And right. move. You know, but anyway, we're, we're kind of digressing. <laughs> right, sorry here. about that. Uh, so uh, I was an instructor. I was a competitor. <laughs> Uh, most of my old adult life, I shot guns, and my kids were all, all, all eight years old mm. because I was an instructor. And I, for uh, used to shoot moving, shooting at moving targets. And I used to always tell people that if you practice standing still, shooting at flat targets, you're practicing marksmanship. And yeah. how, however good marksmanship is, it's not going to get you through real-life situations. If you're standing still and shooting at an active shooter, you're the target you just haven't figured out. Stand by, guys. I'm going to reboot that, that video. Um, I apologize if it's glitching out on you. Um, screen share is not the best at uh, doing a video like this. Uh, give me, bear with me one sec. I can get right back to that spot. Um, but it's, you know, it is painful. I tried to download the video earlier today, and I haven't uh, I haven't been able to find it after I download it. So um, let me just try playing it for my downloads, and uh, that might be better because it might not need to stream as much. All right, let's see here. I apologize. The what do you call it? The gremlins are always out, right? So let's try this. This is this is worth being th going through because uh, it's it's a phenomenal presentation. So, mm. uh, so if you're going, if you think you would be that kind of person that would run across and confront an active shooter you should be shooting and moving at moving targets well that's a great uh great point i have always been you know if this is better you know, even at my shop we have a gun shop and a gun range and our instruction has always been two a two-pronged approach one is like competitive marksmanship type of shooting to learn how to get better at shooting targets and whatever and then the other leg is the defensive firearms training to defend your learn how to because they're not one and the same a lot no, of people they're they not yeah a lot of people think oh you know i shoot every sunday at one in the afternoon and so i'm good to, and it's like no and it I, i'm guilty as charged on that too i carried a gun for 15 years before i took my first but, defensive firearms course but one it should be like a, a gateway drug one should lead to the exactly, other exactly yes i agree with that and so if you get good with marksmanship it is time to start moving to uh, more tactical. Or if you get good at tactical, maybe you should take a moment for marksmanship. You know, yeah, I think uh, you know, 
most people buy a gun this day and age to protect themselves. So I always teach people how to shoot intuitively and uh, from, you know, uh, in a way that works well with what your body does naturally under stress instead of the traditional marksmanship paradigm, which, which, you know, is how to shoot bullseyes at 50 feet, which doesn't apply in the real world, right? It, it's more about, you know, kinesthetically being able to align the gun with the target and shoot and, and then build your skill level off that. It, it was really funny because I own 200 acres of land. Hmm. Uh, I grew up on that land. I'm fourth generation on it. I learned to shoot when I was five years old. And I learned to shoot rabbits and coyotes, coyotes to protect our livestock, rabbits to eat and stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was bringing a police officer and showing him the parameters of my property so he could bring his kids out to dove hunt on my land. Mm. And we're driving the property with his Jeep and two coyotes were running up a hillside. And the first thing he did, slam on the brakes, said coyotes, and I kicked the door open with a 16-inch barrel, AR-15, with an EOTech on it. I popped a coyote at a full tilt run at 110 yards, and he said, you hit it. And I turned around, looked at him, and I said, of course I did. <laughs> he said, I just qualified to carry an AR-15 in my squad car. And he said, I can't do that. I said, you don't have near as many rounds downrange as I do. That's a true story. I would I would argue that civilians that actually train are far superior to the base level officer in the out there. You know, absolutely, because we shot in a league shoot mm -hmm. with our our centers, mm -hmm. and uh, we started branching out, and we figured out really quick uh, that we saw a couple of police departments that would do what they called blue Santa shoots to raise mm -hmm. money to. Sure. Uh, give toys to to kids and stuff, and they would allow uh, civilians, non-law enforcement, to go shoot. Well, when our centers would go out there, we would find these shoots because that was taking candy away from a baby. <laughs> and people say, really, you think you're better than a police officer? Uh, absolutely, <laughs> because a competitive shooting team shoots against competitive shooters. Right. A police officer, for the most part, qualifies once a year on flat targets standing in one position right and our centers were very much better than those police officers and they hated it when we would drive up and unload our guns and uh you know get ready for the shoot they're like oh guys you're here again go Seriously? easy on us go easy <laughs> so there go all their trophies and i would like to say that national this is really interesting because john lott from mm -hmm. Crime Prevention Institute, or yep. uh, he did some research and stuff. And um, police departments, police officers, average in a shootout, shoot like 24 shots mm -hmm. in, a, in a shootout with a 17% hit ratio. Yeah. I'm glad to hear it's up from 14% when I read his first edition of the book. You know, it was... Uh, I think it was 14% back, you know, 30 years ago. So at least they've improved marginally, but not very much. <laughs> it's headed in the right direction. Is, I guess. Uh, somebody told me after the shooting, I got on a liberal radio show. Mm -hmm. I get booked on a lot of radio shows. I got booked on a liberal radio show. And the first thing he did is he called me uh, a vigilante. Oh, my God. And I said, I am not a vigilante. Mm -hmm. 
I did not go out looking for this. This right. is not what I was looking for. Well, that's a perfect segue. Why don't you jump into the story and uh, so we don't spill the beans before we tell it and uh, tell everyone what, what happened on that day um, that changed your life forever. So on November 5th, 2017, I was relaxing at home. Mm -hmm. And uh, the reason I stayed home from church, frankly, that day, because I normally went to a church that was about 40 miles away, uh, was because I was going to start an on-call at the hospital where I worked as a maintenance plumber, meaning I was going to have to carry a pager 24-7 and mainly get paged at 1, 2 o'clock in the morning to go take care of a plumbing emergency or whatever. And so um, I knew I was going to need some extra rest during the week, and it was going to start on Sunday. I decided not to go to church. And I was hanging out. Hold on one sec, Steve. Uh, hey, Luke, we got a, some of the comments are saying they're only getting every other word, and the uh, the audio is a little hard to listen to. Is there someone else said it's fine? So I don't know. It might be on their end. I think we're good then. It's, I got a fine and a every other word thing, but um, I want to make sure everyone can hear it. But so I it sounds great in my head. So is that better? <laughs> Hopefully that might make a difference. We were. Uh, let me know if it's good, guys, because I, I want you to hear this. Um, Patrick says, my audio is fine. It's your connection. All right, we're going to go with it. So, so, sorry to interrupt. So, anyway, I was relaxing in my bed, my mm -hmm. bedroom. Uh, I didn't have shoes on. <laughs> uh, lucky I had pants on. Um, my daughter came into the room and said, Dad, doesn't that sound like gunfire? Mm -hmm. And your mind automatically tries to make something normal out of something that is very abnormal and i thought it sounded like someone tapping at my window opened up the window and looked out couldn't see anything she said come into the other room and as i walked into the other room i realized it was gunfire mm -hmm. i ran to my safe opened up the safe my daughter went outside got in her car drove up to find out what's going on mm -hmm. and as i got into my safe i called my wife and said stay where you're at she was at my other daughter's house taping floating walls and uh, she said, what's going on? I said, someone's shooting up the Baptist church. And she said, don't go over there. I hung up on her. Uh. And uh, I grabbed a magazine. I, I didn't have one loaded. Mm -hmm. I grabbed an AR-15. I, I grabbed a, a handful of ammunition, just what I could grab with one hand, mm. and started heading to the door, poking the, mag the magazine full. And the daughter, older daughter came busted in and said dad there's a guy in black tactical gear shooting up the church wow. and i said did you call 911 she said i did they're aware of it hmm. uh at that moment i was more afraid of the police than i was right. the the shooter himself because i'm i'm going to be running across the street hmm. ar-15 in hand no shoes on and and they're coming code red right. with lights and sirens yeah. And, you know, looking for a mass shooter, if they see me, what are they going to think? Right. You know, so I, I went running across the street and thought in my head, you know, if I see a police cruiser, I'm going to throw the rifle and I'm going to hit the ground with my arms spread out and say, he's still in there. He's still right. in there. Hopefully they'll hear the gunfire and know it isn't me. Yeah. Uh, but that didn't even happen because uh, as I ran across the street, I yelled out. I was about a hundred yards from uh, the front door of the church and I yelled out and if you see this much fat running down the road, there's something seriously going on. 
And uh, they heard me inside the church. Inside the church, he had just shot Julie Workman through the breast mm. and hiding under a pew and bounced one off the concrete into her leg. She sh He shot Chris Workman, her son, uh, through the pew in the back, instantly paralyzing Chris from the waist down. And he was pointing his pistol. He would shoot them with his rifle. And then at point blank range, he would uh, finish them off with his pistol. Mm. And he, he was aiming at Chris Workman. Chris said, he, I was looking down the barrel of the gun. And Chris said, I, I was convinced I was going to meet Jesus. Mm. And he said, I heard you yell. Oh. And he said, the moment you yelled, the facial the, the face changed and he dropped his rifle in the church and came out shooting at me with his pistol. Wow. And uh, so as he came out the door and started shooting at me, he had on class three body armor and a ballistic bulletproof helmet. Wow. Uh, my worst nightmare was just recognized. I could not believe that this was happening. And, uh, I ran for a truck, a neighbor's truck in his yard, and I ducked behind a Dodge pickup truck, something about a 6.2 liter V8 Hemi. It <laughs> was comforting for the moment. A lot of steel right there. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of metal. And uh, I came up over the hood. I hit him in the left chest. I hit him in the abdomen. Both of them stopped by the body armor. Mm. He had his vehicle sitting in the middle of the street, uh, a Ford escape sitting in the middle of the street with the engine running and the driver's side door open hmm. and um, when he turned to his side to get into his vehicle i put one between the plates and i put one high in his legs hmm. and he got in and he slammed the door and he put two rounds through the side window and everything was in slow motion for me i saw the hole open up and the glass falling and that nine millimeter put two nice, neat little holes in the window. And I couldn't see his head because of the reflection of the glass. And so I put around where I perceived his head to be. And it was so surreal because when that 223 hit it, it exploded that glass. Hmm. And the coroner's report said that split his forehead all the way from left to the right. Wow. Right underneath the rim of the bulletproof helmet. He accelerated, turned the corner, and he was fleeing as fast as he could. I ran into the middle of the street, and I put one through the back windshield. The police say that went through the back windshield. It went through the back of the driver's side seat, hit him right of the left shoulder blade at about 150 yards away. Wow. And I'm looking around thinking that it can't end this way. And uh, I saw a pickup truck that had been stopped at the stop sign. And apparently this guy saw the whole shootout and he was on the phone with 911. And uh, I ran over and I tapped on the window, never have met the guy before in my life. And so that guy just shot up the Baptist church and we have to stop him. Uh -huh. And uh, every sane person in this world would have just stomped on the gas and left me there at the stop sign. <laughs> but this is Texas we're talking about. We're not known for sanity. <laughs> A little craziness and a little bit of sense of honor and duty. 
The next thing I heard were the locks come open. I climbed up in the cab of the truck of someone I'd never met before. His name's Johnny Langendorf, and I got to thank Johnny. Wow. Uh, and he immediately accelerated, took it, chasing the guy. Yeah. And we were ru running round vehicles and just, you know, as fast as that truck could go. And um, at some point, I dropped the magazine to look because I... I didn't know how many rounds I had. Yeah. I didn't even know how many rounds I had shot. Mm. I dropped the magazine. Now I'm looking at one round in the top of the magazine, meaning I got two rounds left. I've got one in the chamber and one in the magazine. I clicked it back in and he's on 911 talking to dispatch at this point. And I said, tell them, hurry, hurry. Yeah. I have two rounds left and he still got on class three body armor. Right. Right there, Johnny could have said, oh, I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. Um, but being the redneck he is, <laughs> he just kept on. <clears throat> and I got to say, man, that, that took a lot of courage and trust in me. Hmm. And uh, we chased him. Uh, and at some point, he pulled off to the side of the road into the ditch with a, a uh, road sign indicating a curve ahead right within two foot of his bumper hmm. and i'm thinking oh here it is this is where the rubber meets the road because um now he hadn't left himself a way out i didn't think right and so johnny pulled up with his front bumper still with us still on the pavement with front bumper about even with the murderer's rear bumper and stopped oh. and i put the passenger side window down stuck the rifle out with my left hand to open the door and i was going to step out and use the door as a shield and uh before my foot hit the pavement he accelerated he took the sign out it flipped over the cab of the of his vehicle and down on the ground and i barely got my foot back in the door and slammed it and johnny was already chasing him he went about three quarters more of a mile up the road. And this time he was in the middle of the curve that the sign indicated. He swerved off to the left through a fence and about 50 yards out in the field. Mm. And uh, Johnny pulled up still on the road and stopped. And I told him, I said, just get down below the dash. And I got out and put my rifle over the hood of the truck again over the hood of another dodge truck <laughs> and started yelling get out of the vehicle get out of the vehicle and johnny did whatever millennial would do in this world he got out videoing me <laughs> oh my gosh he was actually live streaming it to facebook wow i was like seriously <laughs> and it took police between five to seven minutes to finally show up and the officer was stayed about 50 yards back from us and I, I didn't even see him pull up. And I hear a driver get out of the vehicle with the hands up. And I looked up the road and I saw him. And he said it again. He keyed his mic again and said, driver, get out of the vehicle with the hands up. Uh, and I'm going to tell your listening audience, if that ever happens, that officer wants to go home to his family that day. And he may not know who you are. Right. So the first thing I did is I laid the rifle on the hood of the truck. And I came up with my hands up, palms out, 
wanted to make sure that he knew that I was no longer a threat. Right. And the officer made eye contact with me and I was walking to the back of Johnny's truck. He keyed his mic and said, not you. <laughs> oh, I was definitely when you were telling that, I'm like, who's he talking to here? Is he talking to you or the uh, guy? Well, the I field? just wanted to make sure that he knew what <laughs> yeah, right. I didn't want any mistakes at this point. This is serious. I don't want any mistakes. I, I'm the good guy. I'm not a threat. I left the rifle up there. But apparently dispatch had made sure that he knew that I was chasing the guy. Yeah. And what kind of vehicle we were in. Oh, wow. And so he keyed the mic. He looked at me, he said, not you. And he showed me the most respect yeah. that I expected. I, I didn't expect that kind of uh, respect, Yeah, but uh, he did. And uh, so I went back over and picked up the rifle and held it over the hood again until I saw five or six more <clears throat> police squad cars come up. This time they were going to their trunks and they were pulling out uh, AR-15s of their own, and I'm like, I'm done. I didn't know it at the time, but I, I just saw the one officer standing out behind his door and stuff. I didn't know it at the time, but there was a female officer that was still in the car. It was her second day. Oh my gosh! As a police officer. Wow. Her second day. She was seriously uh, questioning her career choices at that oh, point, right? Uh, I would love to be able to speak with her and see if she's still an officer mm. today. Yeah. Because the impact of, of what happened at Sutherland Springs is ridiculous. 26 of my neighbors and friends died that day. Oh and God. 20 more were wounded. And you're a very small town, small community to begin with. We're under 600 total population in Sutherland Springs, and Wilson County is a small county. Yeah, also. so it's one of those places everybody knows everybody, right? Well, a lot of city folks say, I never want to live in a town like that because everybody has their nose in your business. And what I always say, if you don't have bad business, it's not a bad thing. Yeah. Because uh, Sutherland Springs, we all know each other, and when we're going through difficulties, we knock on a door and we, yeah. we're there for our, our neighbors and friends. Sure. And uh, it, it's honestly the best place in the world to live. Yeah. It's small town U.S. It may bury USA. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's um, so just to close uh, out the story, they, the police showed up. They, uh, what happened from there? They was the guy. You know, uh, did he come out? Did I he... did not know, and I did not hear. The police say that he took the pistol up underneath his helmet and shot and killed himself. Okay. So I didn't know that at the time. I did not hear a gunshot. Yeah. But I, I, I assumed that the one in the side, he was caught, probably coughing up his own blood. Yeah. And uh, he chose to take the easy way out, yeah. and he killed himself. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Honestly. That's, that's a result everyone can live with. I don't have to tell anybody I killed anybody because he, he did it himself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, we don't have to go through a trial yeah. and hear him try to justify what he did or anything like that. Yeah. Or, or decide that, oh, I'm mentally ill. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah. 
you know, uh, there's too many cases that, oh, well, they're mentally ill, so we'll let them get away with that, put them in a mental institution, uh, innocent by means of insanity. I'm, I'm saying guilty because you're insane. Right. What sane person would do anything like that? So evil descended upon your small town that day, and... You answered the call, I say, nobly and heroically. And uh, what were you thinking as it was all going down? Were you just, did you feel a sense of like, you know, not in my town, this isn't going to happen in my town? Or were you like, oh, I know these people, I got to go out and help them. What was the... Honestly, uh, I believe God called me. Yeah. And I believe God spoke to me. I'm a Christian and mm -hmm. I heard voices in the back of my head. Maybe I'm the crazy one. <laughs> I don't uh, think so. But I, I did hear voices in my head. God confront. And I'm going to tell you, I was terrified. Yeah. Silliest question I've ever been asked is, were you scared? And that's, oh, no, I'm not scared at all. I was terrified. Yeah, of course. And And yet I was dead calm. And I can't explain. And my training... I did everything that I was trained to do. Yeah. That that officer that that he trained for three weeks in between competition. He trained me what to do if ever confronted with body armor. Mm. Why would a plumber need to know that? It mm. was golfing for men, right? Mm. And that's why we did it for the fun of it, because we could. And he trained me what he had learned. Yeah. And I truly believe that God knew that I would need that at some point in my life. And so that's why I was trained. That's why I was asked by God to respond. Hmm. The, fact, the fact that you were terrified is what proves you're not the crazy one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, I, and I, I would encourage anybody that might go through this, whether you're a police officer or just a common civilian like myself, uh, after it's over to seek out counseling because yeah. I went to a counselor and he saw me for three sessions and at the end he said, I don't need to see you anymore. I said, really? With the mood swings and the ups and downs that I'm going through right now, you're saying you don't need to see me anymore? He said, no. He said, I'd worry more about you if you weren't going through what you're going through. Hmm. He said, from what I can tell, you're absolutely normal. And I said, wow, it did change me. Yeah. He said, what? I said, well, I've been never been absolutely normal before in my life anyway. So, <laughs> see, and and I, I joked about it and laughed. And he said, that's another reason I don't need to see you is because you can laugh. Yeah. He said, laughter shows that uh, you're not having the struggles uh, and need to see me anymore. Hmm. So... This, this obviously, and I, I tell this to every student that ever comes through one of our class, if you ever need to use a gun to defend yourself or others, um, then your life has changed forever. And you're obviously, you know, on the other side of that. I, I, I talk about it anecdotally. You've talked about it empirically today. And um, so, number one, it's changed your career path. Number two, it's you know obviously the 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 now now might be a good time to say I work for Gun Owners of America. You can yep. find us at gunowners.org. We're fighting for your rights to keep and bear arms. Right, and that's a perfect time to say that because that was my next question was um, why the need to work for a, a group like that based on your story. Well, 
You know, I thought my normal was great before this happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, the uh, Texas lieutenant governor said I needed to go through uh, the Texas Rangers post-shooting counselor. Mm -hmm. And she said I was going to have to get used to a new normal. And I was thinking, oh, no, I'm just going to go back to what I was doing. Mm. And she said, no, that'll. All right, guys, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to. This is a phenomenal interview, Cockroach. And I know uh, there's another half an hour to this interview. And I want you guys to hear it. But I'm going to reserve it till Sunday. You got to tune in on my radio show Sunday from uh, noon to one, or you can uh, go on YouTube and watch it because the Senator Nick Collins uh, Zoom meeting has just started. So I'm gonna switch over to that. Um, and we're gonna, we're gonna go over to that so you guys can see what's going on over there. So bear with me one second and uh, we're, gonna, we're gonna hit that real quick. Um, so it'll take me a second to get over there, uh, but let's let's see if I can work it in. Oh, that's not it. Let's do this. And hopefully it won't glitch out on me because I'm going to try and do a Zoom meeting here. Um, well, I guess I'll know based off of my vote tomorrow. I'd like to take your word for it, but I'm not going to switch up because I don't know the relationship, but I, I hear you on that. I don't know if I can because it's not a tab. Uh, it's frustrating. Let me see if there's another way here. I don't know if I'll be able to do this, guys. Because unfortunately, it is not. Let me try this. Can kind of hear it. All right. There was an issue around locations. I think in the house bill, it had basically all these areas where people couldn't carry. We did have an era because about. Sorry, bear with me. Also, not the locality, so they can choose to allow and aren't allowed. Why they touch anything um, around election locations, which is what uh, some of the house. How do you feel about an amendment that would ban our other than police uh, election locations? Nick, Michael Edwards. Hello, uh, Michael. I'm opposed to any and all new gun legislation. Can you still hear it? Okay. So that's how I feel about it. And uh, like, I'm going to carry here. I'm going to carry there. Uh, I should be able to 
Right, so you're saying, you're, you're, you're saying, you're saying any limitations on where you can be, you're against that? Any limitations, except for like, you know, like, you know, uh, the garden, or like one of those places where like they could say you can't come in because we have metal detectors. That's one of the, if there's no metal detectors, there should be no new laws of where we should be able to carry. That's like okay. complete insanity because the people that aren't following the laws are the ones that are going to have the guns in those places where we're going to institute that we can't have guns in there. I got you, Jim. Um, so there was uh, another part of the bill um, that the statutes uh, yeah. discussed over. Yes. Um, if I might, first of all, I, I want to say that Andrew knows a lot more about this than I do. Um, but only your, your main amendment, I have read the sub subsequent amendments, so I apologize for that. But when it comes to making it illegal to have guns in courthouses and statehouses and that sort of stuff, right now, I'm an attorney. If I go to the courthouse and I have a gun, when I come through the door, I get to the metal detector, I say, I have a weapon, I want to check it. They check it. I do my business, I come out, they give it back to me and I leave. If it's illegal for me to have it anywhere in the building, I can't go into the courthouse and check the gun, which means on my way to and from, I have no right to protect myself because when I get there, I can't leave it on the steps. The bill does not exempt judges, district attorneys, uh, bailiffs, or other people that have important business in the courthouse, yep. and, it, and it should. Right now, you as a legislator can totally control who comes and goes into the state house. <laughs> All right. If you decide as a member that the member should be able to have guns or be able to carry them to the state house and check them, you can do that. If this passes, you can't. It's simply illegal for you to have a gun in the state house, period. And if you're being threatened on the outside, the minute you walk out the door, you're on your own. And I don't think that that, that necessarily improves public safety. We have the ability right now to control who comes and goes, but we don't have the ability to allow people who are properly licensed to check that gun when they get to the building. This change would, would stop that. So there is an amendment that, I'm, that we're looking at too that would would the initial piece that you're talking about that give the, the justices their discretion on that to allow the villains to determine that um, versus a, a, a blanket ban, which is in the, right. the language. Of, the judges determine everything about what goes on in the courthouse. I mean, there's been times as an attorney in a civil matter, I've had to bring a gun into the courthouse as evidence. And again, under this, I couldn't do that. No, so so this is, the, there is an amendment, I think also by Senator Todd, that addresses that, but let's take a look at it. Yeah, with that, there's actually a following issue there, and uh, it's also enumerated in that email that you're referencing earlier. Um, 14 in particular is important because right now the way that the ban on municipal buildings or any buildings of that sort is written is too broad because it uses the word area as opposed to building. It does not seem like that was the intent of that subsection, um, which is problematic. So I, I would definitely consider supporting Amendment 14 in order to make that. Okay. Sorry, guys. They are. Right. Um, Kicking it around. <laughs> okay, so um, I would agree with that, uh, Greg. No, they don't know what's in the bill. You all have 
it's not going to be effective. But there is um, they can't access. So in the in the in the Senate Whoops, bill, I think I was talking the over them. To be overseeing this, uh, including inspections of manufacturing facilities, we moved away from that here. We're keeping the localities, including the inspections. Unless they say they can't perform it, then the state police will will, will step in to assist. But you don't see that changing. Um, so the, the big other the other big takeaways are the, are the definition changes to what a to what a gun is considered an unlicensed an unlicensed gun is right now. Which right now you have to be a fully assembled ability to shoot um, piece of uh, machinery. Whereas uh, right now, you know, that's not really that's allowing the people who are doing this unlawfully to get away with it, particularly in the area of the ghost guns, which I know it's like, you know, now it's ghost guns is going to be something else in a way that the people are unlawfully accumulating these. But you know what? I do think it's uh, sensible to have the, the language reflect the federal statute. And so that's a, a core part of the proposal. Trying to get the uh, trying to get the audio through the system instead of oh there we go that should be better. Yes, I'm on, I'm on the Zoom, so in a minute, I will speak for us, don't worry. You guys lost the audio? Is it better now? You got it now? Let's try this again.
Still nothing, huh? I'm sorry, guys. Still nothing, huh? What the freak? Ah, so frustrating. Sorry, guys. Um, I don't know what to do. Uh. <laughs> Come on down. Let me try. I I can go back to coming through the mic, but it's gonna be ugly here. Let's do that. Possibly, if not likely, overturned if it goes too far, uh, which, you know, obviously on the call here, it sounds like a lot of people think it already does outside of, you know, without, without some of these amendments passing. Um, so, yeah, it, that's not the first time it's been brought up in the last few months, particularly after the House version came about, which really went credibility to that argument that if this is where this is going, then it's going to end up in court. And it's going to go down. So, I mean, right. But why wouldn't they just shelve this until these decisions come down? Well, it's a good, uh, good point. What I think um, is happening and why this is before us tomorrow, knowing that uh, if the if legislation is going to pass and there is going to be a, a place to land on this, we have to have a bill before the legislature before the end of July. And right after this vote tomorrow, it's not law. What happens after that is a conference committee comes together from the House and the Senate, and quite frankly, a lot less complicated issues 
have been unresolved and don't make it to a final vote. Uh, if the decisions come out of the court, is, it, is there something before us coming uh, in the June or the um, spring Supreme Court schedule? Is that, is that up? Because I know they have, they have a schedule coming up of some pretty, you know, serious cases. I wasn't sure if there's one of them is this area. So, Ramey is the case that you're probably thinking about the most. That one was just argued in front of the Supreme Court, and it's going to deal with um, restrictions on things like um, red flag laws, for example. That's the one that's going to probably have the most dramatic impact. So, that one will be announced sometime in June when the decision is there. Yeah. And that'll impact what the final version of this thing looks like. And if it goes any further than it's gone so far in debate. Um, well, so what concerns me about the bill, uh, Senator, uh, my name's Greg, um, is, um, you know, you had the House vigorously push this, uh, the House for what you said, whatever, whatever the, um, the numbering was for that particular bill. It was pushed through, even with the opposition of the uh, Massachusetts Chief of Police Association. And so when you have that type of resistance and it still passes and then you're talking about how this bill will add it you know depending on what the vote is tomorrow it still has to go through the uh, process within the state where you come together with the house and the senate so you know i just don't i don't see how if this does pass in the in the form it is then what's the change between tomorrow and when it does go into law well i'll say this that I expect this bill to be amended um, if it passes tomorrow for sure. And well, in, in, depending on the issue, a lot can change. And right now, our bill is, you know, um, I think a fraction, a third of the size of, um, or even less than the, the House version. So already, we're not going to go further than our bill uh, tomorrow. There's just, there'll be, no appetite for that you know there was an attention to pare this down dramatically and in the end got the endorsement of the uh, chiefs of police association the group that came out against the house version uh that you just mentioned um so a, a lot can change and it really all depends on a number of factors there's going to be obviously more people weighing in the aftermath of the vote tomorrow uh this is a court case in june that's supposed to be decided that the uh, um, Rahim case, I guess, as it was described. So, I mean, we're going to be having uh, more and more discussions on this even after tomorrow's vote. What I wanted to do tonight, particularly with amendments, of course, is to get a sense from everyone to call which ones to stay away from and which ones they'd like me to support. Uh, because, you know, depending on those amendments tomorrow, I'm leaning towards supporting the bill. But again, if, if, if bills aren't amended adequately, then I have concerns about it. Where it goes after tomorrow, I think it's not going to be on a fast track because if it was on a fast track, we wouldn't be dealing with it in January of the second year of session. It would have gone um, you know, rapidly last year when the House decided to move. And again, it was my action on the floor that took a pause when everyone was going nuts trying to get this thing fast track. That sent it to a different community that slowed it down. So it had full debate in November. Um, and, you know, here's where we are. 
but this bill is so i mean it's it's a lot it's a lot smaller than it was for uh you know the house bill i i i, I agree with you on that but you know the fact that this isn't other than this meeting there is no other public forum or public meeting where we can come together and you know discuss and debate this so i feel like something that is so omnibus and it does affect hundreds of thousands of legally um, responsible gun owners in the state there should be some more you know public response before this is you know brought to a vote tomorrow well i mean i don't know where you were on november 28th well, I was at that. I was at the state house. Yeah, so you weighed in on on the on the issue. I did, but why isn't it being uh, pushed into the Senate, where you know there's been there was a public discussion about a bill that was way more charges. No, 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 no. That, that was a house. Thing. That was the house hearing. What we had was a hearing on the twenty eighth. That was four hours and thirteen minutes. That dealt with one, two, three, four, five, six. 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25. Are you talking about when the bill uh, dozens of, No, no, no. Dozens of firearm-related bills for the Committee on Public Health, and Public Safety, and Homeland Security. The bill that we moved, we, we, I made the motion to send uh, the bill that was filed by Rep, Rep. Day to, uh, they want to go to judiciary. Committee and I made a motion on the floor that stopped it to go to public safety and homeland security where gun bills typically go. So as we had dozens of, of bills all around these topics heard for a four hour, 15 minute hearing. So there, there was a hearing. Um, now, what came out of that hearing through this amend, amendment uh, from, the, from the bill was, was what the language is before us now. And now we're talking about how to further amend it. So that's what I'm trying to do the best I can on here is what amendments people who uh, are law by gun owners want to see not making it in this bill and that they want me to support getting this bill. Understanding that this is going to be terrific. And in the end, in the, we're going to need to be weighing in further when there's a conference committee. I mean, this is, you know, on, on highly controversial piece of legislation you know what the, the the journey is not the fast one and this is i believe a good example I'm going to try to go back over to the computer audio because i want to talk and it'll yeah yeah i think some of the amendments we talked about earlier number 11 23 it will uh 69 um can you hear it now Please tell me you can hear it. Can you guys hear? No. What happened? Still nothing, huh? All right.
It was because I started my camera. It screwed up everything. Let's go back to me not talking. There's one I want to ask about too, because people bring this up, and I'm not really so to mine, which I think there was a concern about a list of some kind being created. So I have an amendment that would uh that would, um, the problem is I'm trying to cobble like three things together. That's I apologize, guys. True story. The discharging of a weapon to, in, into a building, why that's something that should be looked at or not looked at. There are a few amendments, including one the TAR has about um, intentionally striking a building or motor vehicle. Senator, there's a couple of things on that that when I look at it, um, there's currently a law that says you can't discharge a firearm within 500 feet of a dwelling without the permission of the occupant unless it's, it's a self defense issue. All right. This would say you can't shoot intentionally and shoot into a building. Some ranges have buildings with target stuff inside. So I don't know why you couldn't have a an exemption in there unless with the permission of the owner. Because not all buildings in use have occupants in them. They're used. Right. And the other thing is when I was talking to a, a fellow attorney, they said, Well, what about the situation where you have a a, a, a standoff situation and the police want to fire tear gas into the building well firing tear gas would be covered by that also so you need to have a some you know protection of the public self-defense exception in there also okay yeah i'm also sure that that, that number's gonna pass but it was brought up and they wanted to flag it oh, um okay thank you for clarifying on that is there, is there, is there any way we could just like stop this bill or is it like too late for them well i think i think this bill tomorrow is likely to pass in some form now the, it passing as a law yes i mean i think you know again there's been many times up here where a house has a version the senate's a version never made it to the finish line and that's bills that were passed in the previous year but we basically have till july 31st to come up with a compromise that's signed by the governor now, I'd be surprised if that happened before June. Sorry, yeah. Yeah, well, because, like, this whole thing all starts because people want to, like, hurt gun violence. I mean, I'm not an analyst by no yeah. means. I mean, maybe Toby from uh, Dominic can chime you know I in. But most of the crime that these people are trying to prevent, this bill does nothing about that whatsoever. It's just harms lawful gun owners. This isn't stopping crime on Blue Hill Ave. Or at the Caribbean festival. This has nothing to do with that. These laws are just harming me, harming all these people on the scene. They just want to practice the Second Amendment. You know? 
Like I don't know. I don't know the. I don't know the logistics of how much crime happens from lawful gun owners. But this all not much. Not much. Not not much whatsoever. This all stops with like ghost guns and the big evil salt salt weapon. It doesn't even exist. And like the guys earlier, yeah, I'm muted right now. Um, I, I can speak. But if I do it the way I'm doing, the mic's going to pick up the computer audio and start to echo really bad. So I might have to make it so you can't hear them when I speak. So I'll do that. This thing is trying to get rid of that, so we can't do that anymore. You know, assemble it ourselves. Um, my my um, well, as a license, but that's a good point. Because with my my biggest concern, are uh, here's a scenario. There's a place in Providence where a lot of these screening friends are coming in from. They're being brought to Boston, and they're being identified as the guns being used in these shootings and in overlap and lots of my district in the city so that's why that's a, you know got my attention but i don't want this to do what you described and harming people who are law-abiding citizens trying to exercise their first amendment rights that's what i'm wrestling with i understand that you know all right i'm going to switch over so you guys can hear me talk this is yeah down still not acceptable to, to, to a lot of people and everybody on the call that's It didn't work. Someone jumped before me. Anyway, in that clause, it actually makes it um, impossible to, to even repair a rifle um, in that clause. So there is one amendment that actually fixes that. But my bigger concern is, um, like, what, what was that amendment? Uh, I can pull the exact one for you. It's a Bruce Tar one. It is. <laughs> Amending manufacturer or assemble definition number 32, it just adds two words, rifle or shotgun, because of the work of the way that Massachusetts defines firearm, even in the new bill. Um, so this is necessary because of the way that that clause is written, it only specifies firearm, so rifle and shotgun's not included. So amendment 32 has got to pass in order for that to be okay. But furthermore, my other concern is that it specifies only three types of modifications or repairs that are allowed, which is, um, stocks um fitting of special barrels and triggers now i have a, I have a pistol in the other room um that i have two different slides for and so i have one with a red dot one with iron sights and so it would literally be illegal for me to take the first one off and put the other one on and just change the way that it works and that's that's extremely concerning for me now you can still deal with the ghost guns just by doing the serialization component, I'm mean, still allowing legal gun owners to be able to make modifications or you know run two different uppers on their firearms. And unfortunately, again, there's not an amendment that deals with this, but 
there is a big concern around that particular part about how limited our ability to do anything with our um, firearms would be in the future. Okay, so well, we may be able to further amend one of the amendments. So if you have language you want to share with us, the email around the serialization, if you do that tonight, that'll be helpful. Okay. More compromises. Um, I'll just respond to the email that is she still on? Yep. Okay. I'll respond to the email that I'm copying. And I am the only legislator to ever put funding to a state facility for a gun range. And I'm sure some of you know this about the Dorchester gun range. It's in a T facility. It's a facility um, that doesn't have the MBTA police using it because it was, it's not up to snuff. So we're going to be making an investment into that. So the state's not paying for the, the MBTA to go to, I think it's um, Whitman. To gun range down there. So, anyways, I, I do um, try to take this uh, seriously in the, the rights of law abiding gun owners. What motivated others to file this? I can't say. It's not motivating me. Uh, it's just before us. So, I'm trying to deal with it as best I can. Um, so, so, all right, we, we talked about some amendments. Uh, we got a list here. If there's anything that people think that we should add to that, to what we can do for further amendments, I'm open to that. If you want to we see it, is that quick? Keep getting jumped. Existing um, restrictions like a hospital can't carry in places like that. How is okay. that safe for me? to restrict where I can exercise my Second Amendment right. I want to carry. Mass shooters do not listen to any of the rules. Again, I'm right of people. They're not going to listen to, oh, I better put my rifle down because I'm not supposed to carry it on my pistol. Right. Right. No, I, I, I hear you. So there was one when I was concerned about phone locations that I'm now not. Michael made a point earlier, I don't know if on the call, about basically the same thing you were just saying. There is an amendment, though, that I think, Pulls that back. We were just talking about it. Um, and Karen brought it up in the time amendment. One was about the judiciary. One was in general about places they want to. And they say, so, um, so, so, part of it says areas and buildings and Yeah, uh, Senator, this is Toby Leary, uh, co-owner of Cape Gunworks, and I just wanted to thank you, number one, for having this forum tonight, but also uh, chime in that the entire bill, as a lot of people have expressed, it feels like a loaded gun pointed at the most peaceful law-abiding citizens of Massachusetts, and and uh, it is a solution in search of a problem um, where you're, you're trying to essentially, if I can make a comparison, solve 
drunk driving by making it harder for sober drivers to drive. And that's really the approach here. And it is very much unconstitutional, as some other people have expressed, um, especially in light of Heller and uh, Bruin, the two decisions that um, deal with what you're allowed to do from a constitutional level. So there's constitutional limitations on state and federal legislatures from being able to restrict any enumerated right. And so, in other words, you can't just uh, on the floor of the house, start to say like, we're going to issue a license for people, uh, so that they can speak at a college or a university, or we're going to issue a license and charge a fee and issue a background check. So people can go to church on Sunday. You can't do that. And the fact of the matter is here we are with the second amendment and people are doing it. And so just because you have the power to do it, doesn't give you the right to do it. You lack the constitutional authority to do it. And so therefore it's an abuse of power. Now, fortunately for the legislature is they can't be sued, but once you've enacted this law, then you task the executive branch of government, the law enforcement side of things with enforcing these laws. Now they can have their qualified immunity waived if they are found to have deprived people of their constitutional right. So, you know, you look at the uh, the Bruin decision, it said that you must look at the text first. And if there's nothing in the text that grants you the authority to restrict or infringe on the Second Amendment, then you must point to a historical or traditional analog. And it must be more than one, two, three, or four situations, laws, or traditions that were enforced at the time of the founding in 1791. And if you can't point to that, then you don't have the authority to restrict or infringe or modify or put conditions or lean people's right to keep and bear arms. So we're, we're in some seriously murky waters here with all that. And, uh, you know, if I might give one example in this proposed law that is a solution in search of a problem. And also, you know, I think if you look at uh, Madison's uh, Federalist Papers, he talks about the, you know, constitutional limitations and a concrete need being required in order to uh, pass a law. It has to be for the masses that it's going to save, not the opposite, where we pass a law from because of the action criminal actions of a few to control the masses it's just the opposite of how it should be but one of the examples is um we've talked about you know frame situations and certain uh type of things that lawful gun owners have had to deal with in this state in order to get a gun that they prefer or want that are in common and ordinary use one of those things is a fixed magazine rifle so uh, in order to have an AR-15 in this state, you have to make sure it was originally manufactured with a fixed magazine, and it's still limited to 10 rounds. And um, But in a detachable magazine, you're allowed to have 10 rounds. Now, all of a sudden, this new law proffers that if you make a fixed magazine rifle, you're limited to five rounds which again, what are we trying to solve here? Are there people being mowed down on the streets by lawful gun owners who have fixed magazine rifles with 10 round capacity? It doesn't make any sense that we're trying to propose laws just to feel like we're doing something. And, and in the, all the while, the only one we're affecting is the people we don't need to worry about. So at the end of the day, 
you know, criminals will ignore that gun-free zone sign no matter how many you put up in how many places. They, they've never uh, abided by them in the first place. So all you're doing is making it harder for good people to defend themselves. And, uh, you know, they're the ones we want to encourage to seek out competent training and, and be willing to defend and uh, uphold their community and their families and, and their livelihoods and their lives. And really, we're just trying to threaten them with a felony if they have the wrong feature on their gun or, you know, they their barrel's too short or too long or or how many rounds their magazine holds or their fixed mag holds. And we're taking the 180 degree wrong approach to this. You know, we talk about sensitive places and where people should be able to carry and not carry. How about we make a law that says felons who are prohibited people that can't carry a gun can't carry anywhere in the state and that would solve it right if if laws solve things like that then let's make that law i'll get behind it but anytime you restrict the lawful peaceful citizen uh all you're doing is targeting us with yet another restriction another uh hurdle to jump over in order to try to comply with the myriad of confusing capricious laws in this state already and it's gonna mean there's nobody who's gonna come back to life and nobody's life is going to be saved because we're doing some feel-good legislation that doesn't do anything to make a make our state safer thank you So very mindful. What would you do about the ghost guns and the issues around ghost guns with unlawful use and the illegal activity and the violence? That's that's the biggest thing I, I got to grapple with. Sure. Yeah. Um, Well, I, I, I don't think that's true that they couldn't be prosecuted under current law if they're a felon in possession of a gun. It doesn't matter if it has a serial number or not. But yes, and that's okay. All right, so if we back up to the original part of the question, how would I deal with ghost guns? Number one, I, I, I would posit that this country was founded on ghost guns. Um, our, the, the farmers in Concord and Lexington had unserialized guns that our, the government knew nothing about. They didn't know. It, right, okay. So then the second part... Right, but I'm just saying it's okay. I hear you. So let me let me answer the second part. Let's start the all right. So the second part. No, no, I can handle that. It's no problem. I can understand. Can, 
I I would love to get my camera going, but it's not working. I apologize. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. the words really manufactured from that sorry guys he just blew up on me that, um, serial numbers, so stand by so there are a lot of guns as originally manufactured made before 1968 that don't have serial numbers and, and that's been the case you know since noah got off the ark so um I don't understand why they are, are removing that language about newly manufactured, except for they're trying to catch in a big net all these older guns. And that's, yep. not, that's not right. Well, um, does it, do, do those amendments that I think discussed earlier, the amendments 11, where are they? 11? I have to apologize. I don't have your amendments. I, I did not realize. No, no, no. Not, actually, some of them, are, I mean, the ones that we were talking about, about that aren't mine. They are um, 11, hold oh, on. Oh, oh. 11 um, grandfathers in uh, any weapon lawfully possessed in the Commonwealth prior to the passage of this act. That's one of them. Uh, I think uh, one of the brought up schools, uh, what? 23, 69, they're all grandfather amendments. So 269, 269 section 11E specifically deals with what a dealer can sell and transfer. Now, uh, those of us who have been in this a while know that there are some guns that we can legally own, but we can't transfer them through a dealer because of the Attorney General's regulations. So now there's a whole, the changing of the wording of 11E, there's going to be another whole big category of guns that I can own, but I can't transfer. And it makes no sense. These are, for the most part, older guns but before 1968. Um, a lot of them are highly collectible. And so I don't understand the purpose of that. They're not clearly not ghost guns and nothing new about them. They yeah. And to get back to, to get get back to um well to get back to what you were talking about, um, you know, the we've been dealing with quote unquote ghost guns for decades in the state because uh, obliterated serial numbers qual you know fall into that category so um my my i would proffer that you know if a if a felon is in possession of a gun then they go to jail for a long period of time unfortunately they they get out and they get out really um you know routinely and quickly and on their own personal recognizance uh we had one of the worst shootings down here in massachusetts on a police officer uh tom you know i don't even want to say his name but he had 33 prior convictions of felon with a gun and he was out in three and a half years so uh you know went on to kill officer gannon in, on cape cod uh, i remember the day well but the point i'm trying to make is we're trying to control the evil acts of the few that don't care about uh any law you pass in the first place and frankly if the one place in rhode island 
stop selling them technology advances. They're going to be able to order off the internet whatever they want, or they're going to be able to 3D print whatever they want. So restricting my ability to do it isn't making the world safer. The only thing making the world safer is locking up the violent felons that are that are uh, continuing to pro proliferate guns in an illegal way for uh, nefarious purposes. Um, and, Yeah. Yeah, I'm all f I'm all in favor of locking up people who are doing bad things with guns. Personally, I would love to see them never see the light of day again. That's really going to make a difference. That's going to move the needle. But uh Yeah, and again, I I I don't understand what that's solving. Uh, I don't know why uh, any, you know, buddy who you don't have to worry about. In other words, we're already law lawful citizens. If I, I have many guns, I don't need, you know, the one gun I make without a serial number in the privacy of my own home as a freedom hobby is not making anyone more dangerous or it's not making civilization more dangerous just because I have a gun without a serial number that government doesn't know about. Now, if I was to go into business and churn out illegal unserialized guns which the technology exists right now to do um i would be violating a million federal and state laws already and uh i can't do that so if i get caught doing that punish the person throw them in jail you know that's that's the way you solve that problem and uh you know unfortunately we get felons in possession of guns that are serialized nowadays and we still let them out of jail every you know with a very short sentence or give them a bracelet and say, go and sin no more. So really that's my, my biggest problem with the whole thing is again, trying to control the behaviors of the many for the criminal acts of a few doesn't make anybody safe. Folks who didn't just don't like guns have, over the years, they've came up with Saturday Night Specials, and then the assault weapons, and now they have the ghost guns. And there's a glamour, and, and quite frankly, the, the shooting fraternity has fallen down on, on the job in educating people, educating the voter as to what the issues are. Senator Collins doesn't have the option to take care of that right now. He's facing a particular problem. He's trying to massage this. And he's been very good with his time with us tonight. And he's asked us, can he, can he, can we think collectively of something that he can do to to divert this, basically, so that we are addressing what might be a legitimate need while while preventing ourselves from being skewed by uh, things that are not legitimate. And so I, I think that's the question he asked, and we should try to see if maybe we can make some suggestions. Yeah, and it's and it is. A little taunting and saying, What the hell's going on? But it slowed down the debate. It wasn't rammed down anyone's throat. You had, quite frankly, you know, seven months to to to, to, to be in the middle of this thing. Now we have a bill before us, we have a hearing in November. And if my first job is to try to improve this bill, and if it's so unpalatable, then we have to do something else. So that, that's really what the, the meeting is about. I'm sorry if I offend anyone with Michael Kennedy. You know, I, I am a product of my environment. 
I, I, I'm sorry, I talk a lot. If you think I'm monopolizing, just say so. I don't be offended. No, it's all right. Uh, I don't know if you addressed this, but in the, uh, the, the beginning of the bill, they talked about guys. definitions. Uh, they did a couple of things that uh, I wasn't, I don't think are in the original assault weapons uh, legislation when they adopted the federal standard. One is a, a statement saying that if you, if it was made as an assault weapon, uh, that you cannot alter uh, the two features which are totally irrelevant to bring it out of the category of assault weapons. And I don't see why that's a, a big thing. If you say, well, we can't have a, a gun that has a, uh, a flash suppressor, which is basically it controls the recoil to make it a little easier on the shooter. And you can't have a, uh, what's one of the other features? You can't have uh, a bayonet lug. So, uh, for example, I have an M1A. I was on the state uh, marksmanship team with the National Guard. And because of that, they gave me all the parts to build an M1A with all national mark, all national match parts with the exception of the receiver. I had to go out and buy the receiver, civilian receiver. So the gun has a flash suppressor and it has a bayonet lug, but it's also a $3,000 gun made for target shooting. If, if I want to remove the flash suppressor, which actually affects my ability to fire the gun, if I want to remove the bayonet lug and find some other piece to remove, the gun is still in their category, even though I've removed the offending parts. And that makes no sense. The offending parts make no sense, but I remove them and it's still in the category. It makes doubly no sense. And then the other, the other thing um, they put in there was a provision um, that uh, if, um, let's see, if 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 the assault weapon or assault weapon is a, a version a semi-automatic version of something that was an automatic firearm even if it doesn't meet the assault weapon category otherwise it's going to be considered an assault weapon for example um some people who are collectors really think that the traditional thompson submachine gun is a really neat looking gun Right, you know, the classic gangster gun. Well, I don't want, if I wanted one for my collection, I would not want to go out and have to do all the paperwork to get a, a truly fully automatic gun. A lot of paperwork, big expense, but I would be very happy with a semi-automatic gun that looks like the machine gun, but it ain't. They say that that then is, even if it doesn't meet any of the category, that is a an assault weapon. And I don't see that either because it's it's not made to be an assault weapon. It was never made to be a assault weapon. You know, and, and so those are two areas, and I don't know if those are addressed in, in the changes that you've suggested or not, but particularly the one about you can't wreck something that was originally made as an assault weapon and can remove the offending pieces. That makes absolutely no sense. So well yeah, no, the way you put it thank you for service. I um uh, the, the amendments I'm looking at in that area around, around sort of grandfathering that are, I think they're largely drafted by Senator Tar. So if you look, if you, if you have time uh, tonight. Where can I find that online? So if you go in the chat right there, if you, if you can get in the chat feature up here on the right, top right side, okay. uh, it should be at the top. It should be the first item 
This is a link to the to bill. If you click on that, you'll have amendments uh, as one of the items um, uh, of the bill itself. You can pull up a PDF form, then a 79 or so amendments. Uh, and I think you can take a look at some of the, the TAR amendments. But okay. the, the, they should speak in, in, the, in the subject line to talk about um, the, uh, the issues that you have to. I would like to keep, you know, keep going on and you know, again, feel free to continue to jump in. Anybody else want to share their uh, thoughts on either amendments or other things that I should be thinking about or about tomorrow? Nick, is it, um, is it possible or is it late to send us off the study to make sure that it complies with Bruin and Ella? Well, I think what's going to happen tomorrow, I, as it relates to um, going to study, no, but what it'll be, well, technically when it goes to Commerce Committee, it's in a study period about where it's going to go and what it's going to look like. And I think most likely it's going to be withheld until those decisions come out. Because, I, I mean, even people who have, you know, maybe, I, I would say some people like Day and other really passionate advocates on the other side, don't care if it clashes with the, with the constitutional law, obviously. But I would say most people that I've discussed this with up here have no interest in seeing something move forward that's going to be unconstitutional. So, okay. So I believe it's time to discuss this further after tomorrow and to see what really will end up um, coming back before us. Because here's how it goes. If, if the Commerce Committee comes to determination about a compromise, between the two versions, which will be further pared down than it is already. Um, it has to come before us. Now, it gets an up or down vote um, on the Commerce Committee report. Then it goes to the governor. When it comes back from the governor, it's likely going to come back with amendment. I, I don't believe she's going to send us back to sign a bill that passed by the, um, the legislature without amendment. But I don't believe that's going to happen until this. First of all, it will be foolhardy to do that before this decision gets made by the Supreme Court. So my my dialogue with members of the Senate is that we shouldn't be moving forward on a final version of anything until we have surety on where this is going to, going to stand with respect to the Supreme Court, which will be in June. And I, I, for us to do something at all. We have to have it done before the end of July. So I, I don't think this is really going to be on a fast track. And I do believe that there's going to be more time to weigh in. But not before tomorrow's vote. I have to get around uh, these. I have to get my head around amendments that we want to try to pass. And then if, if they don't, make a decision on the condition of the bill and whether or not it's got um, enough amendments in there that make me comfortable supported in its form. And I'm unsure. That's why we're having the conversation. And again, from the beginning, from stopping the fast track, sending it to public safety, throwing it down so it had its hearing in November, in November, which was four hours and change. And I think it was dozens of, of different um, items, some of which, you know, most of which were left off this, this bill. Um, but we're, 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 we're weighed uh, along the way, and, you know, I'll say that I was happy that they did that. Um, you know, it wasn't perfect, the process on our side, but much better than the House. And they did have a hearing. We did get a lot of feedback. 
when this thing started last uh, last summertime. So this is the next step, and I, I, I have to confront it tomorrow. That's why I'm trying to make sure I know all all that you care about, um, and to see if we can amend them, amend those issues. Nick, assuming this bill passes, what uh, do you have anything who gets appointed to the conference committee that will be established between the House and Senate? Yeah. And so there'll be two members of the majority party in the House, two members of the majority party in the Senate, one member of the minority party in the House, one member of the minority party in the Senate. Okay. Uh, I got to imagine Chair Day is going to be one of them in the House. Yeah, and I can imagine uh, Majority Leader Green will be one of them in the Senate. Yeah, um, Bruce Starr and probably Brad Jones and someone one of the tenants there. Yeah. Can I can I ask for a suggestion on who that should be the the third person? Sure. Um, John C. Levis. He seems to have a really good handle on this issue based on his amendments. Who's this? Um, I, I think you might be saying John Beadless from Westfield. Uh, yeah, I think so. He's the one. Yeah. Oh, no, sorry, my bad. John Bell. Yeah, John's the John's, he, John's from Western Mass. He also is the national guard. Okay, I know he conferences. He's in the Democrats. So, um, if you're going to submit two people from them, that's who I would prefer because he actually does seem to have a pretty good handle on this issue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Approach. It's always crickets when Nick, I'd also just like to say thank you for I mentioned they don't have the Dan, constitutional authority. No, please, thank you for reaching out. You're, you guys are educating me and gals, so thank you, Michael. Um, well, sorry, Dad. How many guys have spoken? Yeah, I think we have a, one more in the chat. I want to make sure someone that's an eye for much so difficult to ask. Okay. Um, yeah, I appreciate the comments there on the chat. So I don't know, you had some final thoughts. Um, just, just that uh, since in, under Bruin and under the Supreme Court cases, they look at what was in effect at the time the Constitution was adopted and the time the Fourteenth uh, Amendment was adopted. The numbering of firearms didn't come in until 1968, so. You know, if they push this and it comes out in a radical form, they may be the vehicle by which all numbering gets ruled unconstitutional. Yeah, that's well. I know that's something that we. I mean, I you know, I'm not just everybody that I'm not, I wasn't. I think one of the biggest issues that I heard last year when the House pushed that was the limiting of how many guns people could buy. Obviously, very concerning for doing that and lists and all that nonsense. Um. So yeah, no, I'm 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 trying to get my mind around all of it. Yeah, um, and lastly, if I could just say, you know, there's no easy way around this. Like the this is going to create a legal sandstorm, if for lack, I'll I'll neuter my my language here. Uh, uh, it's going to create this massive lit uh, court 
um, litigation that's going to go on for decades and cost the taxpayer millions of dollars on both sides of the coin because we're going to fund it to fund the lawsuits and we're going to fund to defend against the lawsuits through our tax dollars so uh, not to mention the the clog in the log jam in the courts uh, all for something that I, I think most reasonable people would say um, is is bad law and, and unconstitutional to begin with so that's all and uh, I appreciate your time today and uh, Hopefully some people will ruminate on that that side of it and, and think about that. Yeah, you're welcome. I just I want to make sure you see my my icon in there. There's a there's a founding father's era map of Boston for the record. Always up there. Um all right. Well, I'll get hang on for a few more till seven if folks want to still chat, but if they're Everyone's spoken and they feel um, the. Uh, All right, guys. Are, um, look, look, if you can, take a look at these amendments and um, let me know if there's others that you want me to support and you know, other things you want me to reject. So we'll be scanning these all night and in, in our email through the, through the evening and in the morning. Um, we're supposed to open up at 11, but we probably start taking votes on amendments until um, probably midday or early afternoon. Um, that's that's typical, at least. So, if you sleep on it, something comes up overnight that you thought about, please share with us. Don't hesitate. All right, thanks, Nick. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Senator Collins. You're welcome. Thank you all. There we go. Thanks. Thanks. All right. All right. All right. Well, there you have it. Those are, uh, I don't think anything's going it, to, it's not changing anybody's mind, guys. Uh, so it's painful and, you know, to hear somebody who, who sits there and shows the icon of the founding fathers and don't bring up that Bull crap we were fighting against the british you're talking about criminals same thing tyranny's tyranny whether it's a criminal or a or a government agency uh whether it's a government gangster or my local gangster i want arms to protect myself against them uh, uh so anyway let's uh see how tomorrow goes i'll be flying to fort worth so i won't even know uh what's going on until later tomorrow night but um and we went long today, but it was worth it. Hope, sorry for the audio issues. Uh, we will uh, persevere in the long run. There's there's no way around it. Uh, goal is not useless, Davey. Um, they've done a lot of good. So uh, let's uh, go support to all the groups, FPC, GOA, uh, SAF, uh, Nagger has a case in Massachusetts. Uh, Goal Com2A is a huge resource for us. Um, so yeah, we'll uh, well we just gotta persevere. But I I reiterate, this is where the fight is, guys. And we can all cut and run and leave uh, and watch Massachusetts fall, which some people believe it already has. But if we don't uh, stay and fight while while we can, where we can then guess what happens? They go to New Hampshire, they go to Maine next, they go to Vermont next, because all the mass holes that move there want to bring an import Massachusetts law to their, 
you know, newly, uh, new society up there. And so we need to stand and fight now here. And this is where the battle is. It's going to go elsewhere eventually after mass, New York, Maryland, Connecticut, Hawaii, California, Illinois, all those states fall. They're coming for North Carolina, South Carolina, Florida, Texas. Uh, don't think they won't. You know, they will. And that is going to be the end of the uh, of the game. So we have to uh, put in hard work. We have to roll up our sleeves. We have to put our money where our mouth is. We have to choose to defend. We have to support the local businesses that are doing this work. And we also, um, you know, think about the founding fathers. They pledged their fortunes, their lives, their families, their livelihoods, their businesses, their careers, their uh, their entire futures. And we're just asked to write a check and make some phone calls. You know, I I get it. It's tough. But um, we, we can win this. We can win this battle, guys. And uh, we just need to get together because we've been fractured and, and spread about and scattered. And uh, unfortunately, in 1998, when this gun control really ramped up in Massachusetts, uh, it's when they passed the 94 assault weapons ban and the Gun Control Act and all that crap. There was 1.2 million gun owners. We're down to 600,000. So we're doing a lot of work with a few people and we need to keep growing the second amendment community. And, uh, that's, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. So you guys are awesome. You guys are my heroes. You're interested in this stuff and, uh, you know, we can, we can win, we can do this. So, all right, God bless. I'll see you guys in a week or so. I'll try to do some live updates from Texas if I can. Uh, but let's see how it goes. Um, I'm optimistic and, uh, we got to just keep fighting, uh, disinformation with truth we need to keep introducing people uh to the second amendment community and uh you know that's that's how we win this by numbers that it will win uh, i'm not a, i'm not afraid ain't scared so all right we got this god bless you guys have a great night